Coming up in episode 79 of The Dan Cave, it's all about the Seahawks and the fast-approaching NFL draft. Front and center today, our listeners pitch in with their favorite draft crushes for the Hawks, and then I'll unveil my seven prospects for seven rounds, my favorite potential Seahawks draft pick for each position group in each of the seven rounds. That and my thoughts on what looks to be the untimely and unfortunate end of the XFL and the Seattle Dragons. That's up next in the Dan Cave. Welcome to the Dan Cave. Here's your host, Dan Vienz. Welcome back into the Dan Cave, everybody. A little bit of a bonus episode for this week. Uh, Hopefully you checked out the conversation that I had in episode 78 with Colby Patnode of Soto Mojo and Seahawk Maven. Got to talk a little Mariners and Seahawks with Colby. Um, Got a lot more guests on tap over the next couple weeks, especially as we look forward to the NFL draft. So stay tuned for that. If you don't subscribe to the podcast already, please click subscribe. And that's, um, that's how you'll get notifications of new episodes anytime I post them. Um, before we get into some serious draft talk, I want to touch on a little personal story today that I, that's, uh, that's really had me on an emotional high this morning. Um, so my background is in broadcasting. Um, I have a degree from Washington State in broadcast journalism and spent about the first six years out of college working as a TV sports anchor. For the first four years, I was in the Tri-Cities in Washington as the sports director of uh, KEPR, the CBS station in Pasco. And then I went to Bismarck, North Dakota um, for a couple of years before deciding to call it quits on that career path. Um, And it it was a really cool opportunity. Um, It was actually a step down in technically in market size Um, back then the Tri-Cities was in the 120 ish market range. Uh, Bismarck was closer to 150, but this station that I worked for there owned by Meyer Broadcasting was a dominant force in the news market there. Uh, we got a 60 share on the early, early, um, newscast at six o'clock every night, which means 60% of all televisions that were turned on in our market, which covered basically the entire state of North Dakota all the way over uh, until it ran into the Fargo market. Uh, 60% of all TVs turned on at 6 o'clock every night were on our newscast. Um, And so we had a tremendous amount of uh, revenue for a small market, great resources. I had a three-man crew. I didn't have to work weekends unless there was a big event. Um, It it was a really neat gig. Uh, Unfortunately, over the years, I mismanaged my stockpile of old tapes and lost them all. Some of them in moves after a divorce and and my many moves kind of across the country over the last 25 years. And then uh, I think I lost some in a storage unit at one point. Uh, Never saved them. Um, And that was always something that I viewed as a bit of a personal tragedy. Like there was such an important part of my life and such a fun time in my life. And you know, it's experience that I draw on to this day. Every time I turn this microphone on, this podcast was kind of a way for me to, to, um, exercise those muscles again and, um, and have some fun talking about sports. I got a a message request on Facebook a couple of days ago from someone I didn't recognize. And so I ignored it. I didn't delete it. I just ignored it. And then today I saw, I saw an alert notification 
and those drive me crazy. I have OCD about the red number. I can't have unread emails. I can't have unread alerts. I have to clear them. Um, and so I checked it out again. This time I was on my, my laptop and it brought up his full message request that he had tried to send. And he had simply said, here you go, Dan. Thank you for everything you did for the community. I hope you enjoy this. His name was Dan Tierney's. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, T-E-R-N-E-S. And it was a YouTube clip. And you always see the thumbnail on um, in the YouTube clip. And it, it wasn't of me. But the title of the clip was Dan's Highlights, 1995-1996. I thought, what the heck is this? I mean, it looked legit. It didn't look like any kind of spam or anything I need to worry about. So I clicked on it. And turns out it was hours and hours of recorded broadcasts from local news stations in Bismarck Mandan during that time period. And the reason he had all of this stuff saved is he played basketball back then for Mandan High School. And he would record sportscasts to, um, I presume, we messaged back and forth a little bit this morning, but I presume just to, to capture uh, stories about friends and teammates and classmates and himself as he played for the basketball team. I started watching it, and at first it was, it was a little confusing because the first thing on the first video I clicked on was like a morning uh, public service news show that a couple of our anchors hosted, and it was this really dry, boring interview with some local uh, community leader. And, but I recognized it as our station and I recognized our anchors. And so I kept watching and then it clicked over and it was a sportscast and it was my sportscast. And then as I looked further into it, there are just hours and hours of some of my stories and some of my on set work and even some of my basketball color and play-by-play because we would always produce all of the state high school basketball tournaments. Um, just fantastic stuff. He said he just he had had it saved all these years and he had converted it to digital and he created a YouTube page and he was uploading all of it. And um, I was just really overcome with emotion this morning, extremely appreciative Um and I guess the reason that he had saved some of it or that he had reached out and looked on Facebook to see if he could find me is that, um, and I haven't gotten to this part yet. Like I said, there's a lot of stuff to look through and I've only scratched the surface. Um, I'm waiting for Erica to come home because I want to share some of this with her. I've never been able to show her any of my old work. You know, it's kind of a joke sometimes with me and my friends that like, you know, did I, did it really ever happen? Is it kind of, am I, am I making it all up? Um, and if, if you want to see just a little tip of the iceberg, I, I put like a minute clip on my uh, Twitter feed at Seahawks Forever. Um, and I guess the reason that he reached out to me was that uh, at, at one point in my uh, color commentary, um, I, I was complimentary of his game and the contributions he was making on the, on the floor. And he said he was forever grateful for that. Those are the words he used. And, and so I said, well, now it's my turn to repay the favor because I'll forever be grateful to you um, for bringing these memories back to me. So it's just kind of fun, kind of cool. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know if any of you would give a rip about it. 
or not, but uh, his YouTube channel is called Watch Me Go. Uh, just th- those three words uh, put together into one word, Watch Me Go. Um, there's some pretty interesting stuff on there. And I find it, um, it's funny because the, the clip that I posted on Twitter, I used to do a play of the day. That was a big thing back then. It was kind of required. I called it the Dan's Dandy. And we've done that from time to time here, sort of in an audio version on the podcast. My The first one that I happened to watch uh, actually involved the Seahawks. So I thought that was kind of kind of interesting, even though it didn't go well for the Seahawks. A little bit of a spoiler alert there. Anyway, um, let's move past that. Let's let's get into some Seahawks draft talk. We are less than two weeks away now. Uh, two weeks from tonight would be the second and third rounds of the draft. And um, what I've decided to do uh, this year, rather than just um, do a big board or my positional rankings, I thought I tried. I would try to make it a little more interesting. And uh, what I'm going to do is, or what I have done, is by each position group, I'm going to go round by round for each of the seven rounds and tell you who I like in that round for the Seahawks. And I considered not just players that I like, but also their fit to the Seahawks, how they would fit a need and a role with the Seahawks, and also a high probability of them having a chance to draft that player in that round. As best as we can do that, given the uncertain nature of these draft rankings, especially this year where the pro days have been canceled, the in-person visits have been canceled, a lot of the evaluation process has been short-circuited because of uh, this coronavirus shutdown, essentially. Uh, But before we get to that, uh, was having a lot of interplay about a week ago on Twitter and talking about draft crushes and asked my Twitter followers for theirs. And I thought I would share those because I got great response. And I thought it was interesting how usually when I do this, I expect a lot of consensus. Did not get that this year. In fact, there were only two out of about 12, 15 entries here um, that agreed on the same player. So I thought it was interesting and just a cool way to shout out uh, people that um, that participate in these discussions on Twitter. Um, I really appreciate those connections now more than ever um, because I am homebound. I am quarantined. I am locked in. Um, Erica works in the health um, uh, the healthcare field and uh, she is around at risk clients constantly. Um, they're agency specializes in infants on ventilators and they do in-home intensive care work. So you can imagine uh, how careful she has to be. And therefore I have to be because uh, I certainly don't want to risk transmitting anything to her that she could then take to work with her. And so I'm, I'm on lockdown. I go out to walk the dog. I take Zoe to the park and um, we enjoy that every day. And I go for a run and that's about it. I can't go to the store. I can't go uh, anywhere else. So, um, Social media has been um, more of a source of connection for me these last couple of weeks than ever. And I'll say it again. Thank goodness for the NFL draft and that we have that to talk about and that to look forward to because as sports fans, you know, certainly we are really scrambling to find anything to fill our time with um, at a time when it's stressful just being stuck here. So a little shout out to those who chipped in um, on Twitter and we'll just jump right into it. Uh, Seahawk Realm 
at Seahawks Network is the Twitter handle. Um, they like Jonathan Taylor, running back, Wisconsin. And I think you'll see a trend here that I find very fascinating as we move forward through this. Chris W. at ZipKidCW likes LaVisca Chenault, wide receiver, Colorado. Um, uh, very, very dynamic playmaker that we are certainly familiar with in the Pac-12 and someone that I have um, played around with in mock drafts to the Seahawks. In fact, uh, last week I was, well, two weeks ago, I was invited to be part of a community draft uh, and those are those are a lot of fun. Where you're the GM of a team. I had the Seahawks, of course, and there's 31 other um, people. What I like doing, uh, what I like about doing those is they're a little bit more in real time, and they're a little more unpredictable. Um, people have different individual ideas, and you're not you're you're not playing along with a, a logarithm or a computer program, and so it's a little more less predictable. So you can get players that normally you otherwise in your mock draft simulators wouldn't get. The problem is that nobody was making their picks on time and this thing was dragging on. It took about a week and a half to get through three rounds and I finally bowed out. But I took Chenault in the first round of that draft because all the edge guys were gone and I couldn't find a trade down partner. In a simulator, I would have just traded down from there once Gross Matos and some other guys are off the board. Um, I ended up liking how the first three rounds were looked after that. Um, I think I went Jonathan Grenard and, um, no, no, no. Yeah. I went Grenard and Prince Taga Winogo in the second round. So it still fell. Okay. Really like Chanel, uh, big dynamic playmaker on the outside. Uh, Clayton. Uh, Clayton Smith, at Clayton Smith NFL, um, a regular participant in draft discussions on Twitter. He likes Jabari Zuniga, uh, edge out of Florida. Um, I tend to prefer Grenard for the Seahawks. I think he's a more dynamic pass rusher, but Zuniga does um, really fill a need that the Seahawks traditionally look for, and that is a guy that can play the base, the base end position and then also reduce inside on passing downs. Um Bill Alfstad chipped in with Antoine Winfield Jr. safety, free safety out of uh, Minnesota. Kind of reminds me of Tyron Matthew a little bit. Um, Alfstad um, talked about that when he was on the show last week. If you haven't checked that out, definitely do. We do dueling mock drafts where we can only take players that we haven't taken in previous drafts. It was a lot of fun. Kyle Wilson at KWill44 likes Van Jefferson, receiver, Florida. Colby and I talked about Van yesterday. Uh, the kind of guy that doesn't have any uh, dynamic athletic traits. He's good size, 6'2", 200, good speed, um, good enough testing across the board athletically. He's a little overaged. I think he's 25 um, coming out of college, but arguably the best route runner um, of all other receivers and re- really I think would fill a nice niche and a nice role um, with to co- to complement and play off of uh, Lockett and Metcalf, and then what Dorsett can give them. Um, I think Jefferson kind of embodies what they were hoping Amara Darbo would be, which is more of a uh, possession type receiver. Um, Jefferson would would really fill that role and be a nice pick. I agree with that one. Uh, Marty McFly. I'm just going to assume that's a real name. Uh, at for the bird. That's for the with an A. So 
F O R T H A bird. Um, Brandon Jones, safety, Texas. Um, I haven't watched tape on Jones and, um, Colby and I talked about this again in the last episode too. I, I just haven't watched the safeties very closely in this year's class because I, I've, I don't feel like it's a major need. Um, but Jones is one that I'm going to look at because of this recommendation also, and also because we know that the Seahawks have met with him. Um, and he's a guy that um, his safety scouting report isn't that impressive, especially considering uh, all the investments the Seahawks have made at safety in the last couple of years and um, and that they have Marquise Blair in the fold, who they took in the second round last year. But what makes Jones interesting is that he projects as a guy that would primarily play the nickel. Um, and so Brandon Jones, for that reason, um, is the recommendation of uh, for the bird or their draft crush. Jordan B at Bleeding Seattle, B L E E D N S E A 84, likes Alton Robert Alton Robinson, Edge, Syracuse. Um, Robinson reminds me a bit of Chris Clements, just kind of physically. Um, he's not overly long, really raw, um, very productive at Syracuse, but still has um, a lot of development left ahead of him, kind of a moldable ball of clay, really interesting edge prospect who should be available in the mid-rounds. Uh, that's Jordan's draft crush. Andy Patton of USA Today and the Seahawks Wire at Andy Patton, Seattle, um, the abbreviation for Seattle. So at Andy Patton, P-A-T-T-O-N-S-E-A. Likes Michael Pittman. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr., wide receiver, USC. Um, projecting to go in the second round. He is a really nice combination of size uh, and just a really smooth, fluid route runner with excellent hands, makes the contested catch very, very productive at USC. Um, Michael Pittman is Andy Patton's draft crush. Um, At North Fresh Kane, likes A.J. Dillon, bruising running back Boston College. Um, six foot plus, 250 pounds, led the nation in yards after contact and broken tackles last year. Uh, A.J. Dillon um, looks to be a mid-round running back choice um, out of Boston College. Uh, Eshwar, at Eshwar underscore S, and Eshwar is spelled E-S-H-W-A-R, likes J.K. Dobbins, running back Ohio State. I told you we would see a trend, right? We'll talk about that in a little bit. J.K. Dobbins typically mocked at the end of the first round or early in the second round. So you're talking potentially taking a guy with the first pick, whether they trade down or not. Mike Doherty at Mike Doe, D-O-H, 244-25884. Now, does, I've always wondered about uh, screen names like this, and I should ask Mike because we chat quite a bit. Does that mean that there were 24,425,883,000 other at Mike Doe's on Twitter. Curious about that screen name. He likes uh, Yeter Grossmatos out of Penn State, um, as do many of us. That is his draft crush and um, uh, could be a very, very likely draft target of the Seahawks if he lasts until pick 27. Patton Richard um, at the Patton. Likes um, Calevon Chazon, Edge LSU. And some of you may think, well, that can't really be a draft crush because he's not going to be there at 27. 
I am seeing more and more. It's not a consensus. It's not that common, but more and more, I am seeing him start to slide a little bit in mock drafts, and I'm starting to hear the analysts find reasons to knock him. And I think he suffers a little bit from Jadevian Clowney disease. He is lightning quick. He has the most explosive get off in the draft at that position after Chase Young. Um, he has incredible ability to bend around the edge. Um, he may be the, the most dynamic pure pass rush prospect in the draft. Yet there are major question marks about his ability to play the run. And there are concerns that he is a one trick pony. Um, so there is a chance, especially with gross Matzos appearing to be moving up and, if Gross Matos moves into the top 20, there's a chance then that teams looking for edge might pass on Chazon. So keep an eye on that. You know, as is the case every year, I think it's really all going to depend on what happens with the quarterbacks and the receivers. That class is so dynamic this year at receiver, and there's teams every year that be, get really desperate and aggressive on draft day for quarterbacks. Um, you know, who's going to be looking to move up ahead of the Seahawks? Uh to attack those two position groups. Long live decaf Metcalf. Um, Twitter handle at Seahawks crazy, just like it sounds. Like Zach, likes Zach Moss, running back out of Utah. Uh, Colby and I talked about Moss yesterday as really looking like the epitome of a Seahawks running back. In fact, there are some similarities in running style and versatility to Marshawn Lynch. Um, so... Zach Moss is another uh, of my favorites as well. And he's one of those guys, too, that um, didn't run as well at the combine, clocked a 4-6 plus coming off an, a minor knee injury. Um, reports this week that the knee is 100% now, and he did one of those self-homemade pro days um, and, um, and improved his 40 time pretty substantially. I think he got into the 4-4 range. Um, for Zach Moss. Streetball2122, uh, whose Twitter handle is at streetb9063786. Again, I asked the question, does that mean that there were 90,637,885 other at streetb nicknames on Twitter? And also David Hershey, at Hershey04, H-I-R-S-C-H-I-04, both chose Brad, Bradley Anai, edge out of Utah. Anai is really interesting because he doesn't hit a lot of the Seahawks' preferred parameters for athletic testing, and that's been the knock on him. Um, the 40 time, the short shuttle, the arm length, um, some of those things aren't ideal. But you watch him on tape, and you think, that's a really, really damn good football player, and it's a guy that I want in the second round all day long. Very productive, very intense, high motor. Uh, had a great senior bowl, had a couple sacks in the game. Um, the only one of these draft crushes that was agreed on um, by two people. And then our final one, Alex Wober, at Wober Alex, W-O-B-E-R-A-L-E-X, likes Darrington Evans, running back, Appalachian State. Um it would be interesting to see him as a Seahawks target because the Seahawks typically prefer their running backs to be 5'9", 5'10", and over 215, 220. Uh, Darrington Evans is a little bit of a, a smaller back, 
uh, more um, kind of in the um, uh, Devonta Freeman sort of physical mold, but very explosive, can take it to the house on any play, a uh, real dynamic cutback runner with good vision. Uh, he's kind of moving up draft boards. He was originally thought to be a fourth or fifth round pick. Um, he may go earlier than that. So those are the draft crushes. I find it really interesting that, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, five different running backs listed. More running backs than edge players. More running backs than defensive linemen. Um, and yet, all I have to do to start any kind of spirited debate on Twitter on a day-to-day basis with uh, Seahawks Twitter is to just throw out the idea of the Seahawks taking a running back with their first pick and uh, all hell breaks loose. Um, But yet so many of you have a running back as your biggest draft crush. I find that interesting. Thanks for chipping in, everybody. We'll do some more of that um, uh, next week as we get closer to the draft. All right, now we move on to the focus of today's episode, which is seven prospects, seven rounds. So, um... What I will do is go round by round, and I'm going to go. I'm going to go backwards. I'm going to go from the seventh round up to the first round in each of these position groups, and highlight someone that I think that I like, that I like watching on tape, that I think could contribute to the Seahawks, but also that I think they may have an interest in. And some, it's not equal weight. Sometimes the prospect that I choose is just because I really like him, and maybe maybe it's eighty twenty on some of these guys where 80% I really like him and it's wishful thinking. I'd like him to be a Seahawk for certain reasons, but 20% I think maybe he doesn't fit exactly what they typically look for at that position. So, so here we go. And let's start with, um, the least likely, um, well, let's just go this way. I'll just scroll down. We're going to go backwards. We'll start with wide receiver. And what I did on this one is, uh, I grouped wide receiver and tight end together because this tight end group is not great. And I don't see the Seahawks really hunting for a tight end in this draft. I think they like their tight end room as it stands. And as it turns out, um, uh, there wasn't a single tight end in any of the seven rounds that I thought I liked better than any of the wide receiver prospects. So this essentially is just wide receivers. In the seventh round, we'll go with uh, someone with local size. Washington Pac-12 ties. Uh, Des Patman, uh, WSU. I just really like the overall package. Um, 6'3", solid size, solid enough speed and testing numbers. And I thought he was one of those guys that kind of stood out at the combine, looked great in the gauntlet, um, had uh, showed really soft hands, natural hands catcher, Made some big, big catches for the Cougs. Um, Last second, game-winning type catches from Minshew and Gordon. Um, Not a game-breaker, not a guy, uh, not a burner, um, but a guy who can work the middle of the field uh, and be a good, solid receiver for you. So I really like Patman there in the seventh round. In the sixth round, and I think you'll see a trend here as we go through with one exception, um, another guy that I view is very, very similar in style to Patman. Isaiah Hodgins, another Pac-12 guy, Oregon State. Uh, 6'4", little bit taller. Um, same kind of profile. Good size, really good size. Good catch radius. Uh, athletic enough. Um, 
Isaiah Hodgins, I think, would be good value in the sixth round. Round five, a guy that Bill Alvstad talked about two weeks ago, Antonio Gandy-Golden of Liberty. Um, round five may be wishful thinking. I've seen some projections where he's more in the round four range, but another guy, 6'4", would be a good red zone target. Um, in round four, Colin Johnson, another one. Do you see the trend now? I tend to like, in this draft, the bigger receivers for how they complement the rest of the receiver group. Um, Colin Johnson is a guy that is not just a one-trick pony. When I watch him on tape, I'm shocked that he's 6'5", 220. Um, Averaged over 14 yards per catch in each of the last three seasons. Consistent, remarkably consistent in his production. But the thing that I like the most about Johnson is his releases from the line of scrimmage. Typically, these bigger guys are long striders. Takes them a little bit to get going. Their first step's a little long. Colin Johnson reminds me in some ways... I'm not saying he's as good a route runner as Doug Baldwin, but his release off the line of scrimmage, his little chop step and short step really keeps the defensive back catching, uh, guessing, gives him a chance to separate. I think Colin Johnson's very smooth, catches the ball well in traffic. Um, I don't know that he's getting enough attention in that mid-round range. In round three, now I'm going to go away from that style and a guy that I've talked about here before. We talked about it again yesterday with Colby. Um, it was definitely not a bigger receiver, Devin Duvernay. Colin Johnson's college teammate at Texas, five uh, ten, um, real uh, real thickly built. We talked about the comp that he, he he will remind you on tape of Golden Tate, maybe a little bit of Debo Samuel, um, sub four four forty, really quick and explosive. But what makes him stand out is his uh, physical nature and how he turns into a running back with the ball in his hands, bounces off guys, breaks tackles, never never gives up on a play, and is also, for his size, an outstanding and willing um, blocker in the running game. Round two. This was a tough one because uh, we talked about it in draft crushes. I really like Chenault, but Brandon Ayuk uh, from Arizona State, I think is just more dynamic. Uh, just under six feet. Um, four five forty, but looks much faster on tape. He is an outstanding returner as well, which is something the Seahawks need uh, this year. Uh, twelve hundred yards, sixty-five catches, twelve hundred yards, eight touchdowns last year. Catching passes from a true freshman quarterback at Arizona State, um, and he also is um, by all the analytics the most productive uh, post route runner in college football. Plays right into what the Seahawks like to do. I like Ayuk in the second round. The first round was tough, you know. I'm not going to go with a C.D. Lamb or a Jerry Judy or a Harry Ruggs because those guys aren't going to be there. Um, a lot of people out there like Jalen Rieger and Denzel Mims, there are things that I see that just that just make me pause. To me, the most complete receiver that if the Seahawks were thinking about going that way in the first round, and I would not um, hold it against them if they went Ayuk. Based on all the pro- projections, um, some might call that a reach I think he's good enough that you could justify it. But Justin Jefferson out of LSU is a guy that I think would really fit 6-2, um, but yet really athletic, 4-4-40, 38-inch vertical jump, extremely productive the last two years, set single-season records at LSU last year. Over the last two seasons, 165 catches for 2,400 yards, 24 touchdowns. He's played in big games and big moments. Um, he's kind of a complete package. And I think he just gets lost in this group a little bit because 
Um, he's not as twitchy or dynamic, but I really like Justin Jefferson, who seems to be firmly planting himself now in the first round in all these projections. Um, running back, we'll kind of skim through these um, because I've talked so much about running back on this show the last few weeks. But just to just to um, participate in this in this exercise. Seventh round, it was tough. The The running back class after the fourth round really drops off. And honestly, if, if the Seahawks can't get one of the guys they like or I like in the top four rounds, I would just assume they stay away from it the rest of the draft. As it is right now, they only have one pick after the fourth round, but we know that they're going to trade down and pick up extra picks. Um, you might have just as good a chance taking an undrafted free agent or signing uh, a vet free agent because there's a big group of them some really attractive ones still available in free agency. But that being said, round seven, Michael Warren the second out of Cincinnati. Uh, big back and extremely, when I say big, big, thick. He's only 5'9", but 226 pounds. Um, last two seasons, he's he's run for a total of 2,600 yards, five yards per carry, 33 touchdowns over that time. Not the most shifty runner, but very, very good between the tackles. Would be a good complimentary back. Uh, in the sixth round, Josh Kelly, um, one of the standouts of the Senior Bowl. Not the biggest back, not the fastest back, um, but good, solid all around. More of a um, more of a glider and a weaver than a hard cutter or a stop and start running back. Um, just a good, solid running back. Kind of reminds me of Peyton Barber, um, formerly of the Bucks. Um, in uh, round five, Lamichael Perrine of Florida. Similar to Kelly. Good, solid back. Um, my fourth-round pick is Zach Moss. We just talked about him. My third-round pick is Cam Akers, who really stood out at the at the Senior Bowl. Um, one of the best all-around packages of size, athletic ability, speed, cutback ability, was a feature back at Florida State, can kind of do it all. Uh, real solid three-down back prospect um, out of Florida State. Uh, round two... Well, round one and two were kind of tricky because we just don't know how the running back class is going to fall. Um, but in round two, I went with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of LSU. Short, uh, fire hydrant, just a bull of a running back. Um, would just as soon run through you than around you. Good physical power back. Uh, that would be nice um, for short yardage, for sure. And round one, if they are going to take a, a running back in the first round, uh, Jonathan Taylor. Um, we know there are reports that the Seahawks are enamored with him. They like him. He kind of fits exactly what they what they like. And I think with um, Carson's deal being up after 2020 and Penny coming off ACL, I think Taylor would be a guy that you could look at um, as possibly the bell cow uh, moving forward in the future. Moving next to offensive line. Um, and again, I, I combined offensive line as I did with defensive line. Um, so tackles, guard, center, all are up for grabs here. Uh, in the seventh round, Terrence Steele out of Texas Tech, 6'6", 312. Um, moves well for a guy his size. Raw, obviously coming out of that air raid system, uh, would need some developmental time, but maybe good value as a project in the seventh round. Round six, um, Charlie Throckmorton out of Oregon. I'm able to get this guy in the sixth round every single time I do a mock draft. I think scouts value him more than that. I don't think he's going to 
last till round six. But based on current projections, I'm going to go with him. He played um, primarily right tackle at Oregon last year, but he's played every single position for the Ducks, including starting a couple games at center last year when Jake Hansen was hurt. Um, 6'5", 3'10", very physical, um, good enough technician, strong enough. Um, kind of view him as a stronger Ethan Posick that can play every position, but I kind of like him at center. Uh, round five, Charlie Heck. I've talked about this guy uh, before. Son of Andy Heck, former first-round draft pick of the Seahawks. 6'8", 3'11". Um, doesn't wow you with his lateral movement skills, but he's, um, as you would imagine, is the son of a coach. Um, very good technique, very physical, loves to get to the second level, can play either tackle spot, probably projects more as a starter at right tackle long-term, but could be a swing tackle for you for sure. Uh, round four, Robert Hunt out of Louisiana, small school guy that we know the Seahawks reportedly love, uh, played right tackle at Louisiana because they had Kevin Dotson at right guard. Um, talking about a massive dominant right side at a small school. Um, Seahawks may see him as a tackle, but most uh, see him as a guard. 6'5", 336, really physical in the run game, has some work to do in pass pro. Round three, Matt Pert. Um, we've talked about this guy uh, recently with some mock drafts. Basketball background, really athletic, 6'7", 318. Good developmental prospect that projects as a future starter at left tackle with a year or two of development. Uh, round two, Isaiah Wilson. I have described him as what we had hoped Jermaine Effetti would become. 6'6", 350, and just long arms, huge paws. When he gets his hands on you, you're done. Uh, has some work to do, obviously, with his footwork, but much better uh, at this stage of his career than, than Effetti ever was. Um, uh, in the running game, he can absolutely maul. And in the passing game, um, his pass sets are good enough that you can, you can project him to be much better at that. And as I said, if he gets his hands on you, you're just done. Um, there are, unfortunately, though, growing reports that not only is he a first-round draft pick, um, but that some GMs think he's going to go surprisingly high in the first round. One even said he would go ahead of his teammate, uh, left tackle Andrew Thomas, who others view as the best tackle in the draft. And then uh, in the first round, if I'm going to take a guy at 27, I'm taking Josh Jones out of Houston. We've talked about him. Really good mover in pass sets um, and has some work to do in the in the running game, um, but is incredibly willing. He, he, hunts, he hunts guys down at the second level to maul. Um, secondary. And I combine these two groups again because, as I mentioned, I don't see safety as a huge need or something they're going to spend a lot of draft capital on. Um, but there were a couple of examples of where in a round I thought the fit at safety might be better. In the seventh round, Kendall Vildor out of Georgia Southern Small School Corner. Um, really intriguing prospect. Only 5'10", 191. You'd think, well, that's not a Seahawk out, outside corner. But 32 and a half inch arms at that size. Runs a 4-4, testing numbers are good, nine career interceptions. And the thing I love about this kid is from all the reports I read, he is an intense competitor. Chirpy, likes to talk trash, 
uh, really is the first one to come over and, and smack a teammate on the butt after a big play. Um, really intense competitor. I like him in the seventh round. Sixth round, Tanner Muse, safety, Clemson. Some have him as an outside linebacker candidate. I've talked about that idea um, for him as well. 6'2", 227. So you think, okay, strong safety. Well, if Blair doesn't become that guy, there might be a need there. Uh, he could be an outstanding special teams player as well. But here's the thing. At 6'2", 227, uh, Clemson had him playing Deep third free safety runs a four three eight forty excellent uh, short area testing as well in his short shuttle and his three cone six interceptions the last two years uh, but he'll come up and hit you too so I like him more as a strong safety um, that does have some good coverage skills round five Lamar Jackson Jason Churchill's favorite prospect and someone that I often mock to the Seahawks in the fifth or sixth round. Um, because physically he just he looks every bit the part of Seahawks corner. 6'2", 208, 32 and a half inch arms. Um, but it, it's a little tough to project him because at Nebraska he wasn't asked to do much press man coverage at all. Played off the ball a lot. Um, so could be good value there in the fifth round. In the fourth, I hope I don't butcher his name too badly, but Michael Ojimudua, uh or Oje, Oje Mudia. Uh, out of Iowa, six foot, two hundred pounds, thirty-two inch arms, four four forty, six interceptions. Um, played more press man coverage than Jackson did. Um, the straight line speed is a little bit of a concern, but he's really physical and understands um, how to use the sideline and and how to be physical with receivers. Uh, round three, I went against type. Amik Robertson, Louisiana Tech. He's only five eight, one eighty seven. He would be a slot only corner. He wouldn't have any chance to play for the Seahawks on the outside. But what makes Robertson unique, uh, Robertson unique, similar to Vildor, intense competitor, really physical, loves to get up in the face of guys and, and, and mirror um, receivers and uh, is another one of those ascending um, prospects that in the right scheme um, as a nickel could be a really effective third corner. Round two, one of my favorite players in the entire draft, Bryce Hall out of Virginia. Um, if this was a year ago, we'd be talking about him as a first round corner without a doubt, maybe the best pure cover corner, um, in this draft after Jeffrey Akuda. six, one, two Oh two, uh, 24 passes defensed his junior year and, uh, plays a lot of press man coverage, gets his hands on you. looks like he could handle the slide, the, the step kick technique, um, quick enough to stick with receivers, can can body them, um, loves to jam, looks precisely like what the Seahawks need. And they need a corner in this draft. Again, I'll, I'll say it. The Quentin Dunbar draft, or the Quentin Dunbar trade was fantastic. Um, Dunbar and Shaq Griffin next year uh, should be their best pair of corners, uh, at least since Sherman and... Um, and, oh, I'm totally forgetting the name of the guy that went to uh, Philadelphia on the big free agent deal. But anyway, in, in the last four or five years, um, both those guys' contracts are up next year, as well as Quandre Diggs, your safety. So uh, you can't pay them all. You're going to have to develop a future starter. Have they given up on Trey Flowers? Does he still have a chance to be a guy long term? I don't know, but Bryce Hall missed the second half of last season with a very serious ankle injury. That's why he's falling in this draft. I've been able to get him at times in the third round as well. Um, 
but just his his future ceiling is uh, as enticing as any corner outside of Okuda in this draft. And then in the first round, I did go with safety. And Bill Alfstad and I talked about this guy, Xavier McKinney out of Alabama, six feet, 201 pounds. He's so versatile. He can play free safety, strong safety, or slot. I think he's one guy that the Seahawks may consider if they go defensive back in the first round. With the linebacker group, I cheated. I only went three rounds deep on this because I don't know that it's a position the Seahawks are going to invest heavily in. Uh, they, they took Cody Borton, uh, Cody Barton and, um, and uh, Burr Curvin a year ago. Uh, they still have Shaquem Griffin at outside linebacker. Um, and this draft is heavy on middle linebackers and not really the coverage chase um, outside speed, sideline to sideline type outside linebackers I think the Seahawks may be interested in, so I only went three rounds deep. In the third round, Willie Gay Jr., Mississippi State, 6'1", 243. That sounds like middle linebacker size. This guy is a lightning bolt. When you watch some of his highlights of him pursuing plays to the sideline, it looks like he's running in fast motion and everybody else has been slowed down. Um, some character questions. He was suspended for most of last season uh, for violating team rules. But there are reports that he has been absolutely dynamic in the interview process, and he's rising up draft boards. Um, round two, Josh Uche. You've heard me talk about him before. Uh, he's listed by a lot of people as an edge. I see him more as an off-ball linebacker. He's 6'1", 245. He can cover. He can cover wide receivers down the field, as we saw in senior bowl practices. Um, but he is explosive off the edge, rushing the passer, and so I think he would add a lot of value that way. Um, but you can't play him as a full-time edge, so he'd be more of a versatile chess piece as an outside linebacker. Same to be said for my round one choice, Zach Bond. Again, some people list him Purely as an edge, 6'2", 238. He's closer to edge size, 4'6", in the 40. Um, doesn't seem that dynamic, but his 10-yard split is 1.5, really quick initially. Had 12.5 sacks last year, 19.5 tackles for loss. Um, he can cover, um, and is really good dropping back into zone coverage as well. Um, think a couple inches shorter, but think K.J. Wright but with uh, more pass rush skills. He can really bend the edge and get to the quarterback. Which leads me then to um, to our last position group, which is defensive line. And as you can imagine, uh, all seven choices are edges. Um, there are defensive tackles that I like in this draft, but none of them uh, worthy of edging out any of these edge players in either of these particular rounds. And, and this is the the position group that's getting the most attention and that uh, most fans hope the Seahawks dip deeply into whether or not they have another free agent signing uh, on the horizon between now and then or not. In the sixth round, Casey Tuhill out of Stanford. Really intriguing player. When you watch him on tape, doesn't look impressive physically. Has kind of, I don't want to say skinny arms, but he's not all cut up and bulky, but then you see he's 6'4", 250, and his athletic testing across the board has to appeal to the Seahawks. Uh, 1.5 on his 10-yard split, a 10'6 broad jump, a 39-inch vertical, um, his short shuttle, 
and three cone times are outstanding. Um, he's got long arms. He runs extremely well. He was really productive last year rushing the passer, but he can also drop back into coverage as well. Um, I see him as a developmental uh, pass rusher. And I think in the seventh round, he's a guy that would stand out on special teams for you. Could also um, play in coverage a little bit. Really intriguing there in the seventh round out of Stanford. Uh, in the sixth round, Kenny Willekes, Michigan State, 6'3", 264. Um, highly consistent over the last three seasons. 26 sacks total over that span. 51 tackles for loss. Um, not, again, to use this word, not the most dynamic or explosive athletic prospect. Really high motor, hard worker, intense. Kind of reminds me, doesn't have the freaky long arms of Max Crosby from last year, but reminds me a little bit of him. And he can also reduce down and rush from the inside on passing downs. Um, in round five, Alton Robinson talked about him as a draft crush um, out of Syracuse, 6'3", 251, 19 and a half sacks over the last three years. Um, needs to get a little stronger, but really intriguing edge prospect that you can get in the mid rounds of this draft. Um, round four, small school stud Alex Highsmith out of Charlotte, 6'3", 248. Um, last year alone, 21 and a half tackles for loss, 14 sacks. Uh, one of the better get-offs uh, off the line of scrimmage in this draft and did not look out of place at the Senior Bowl playing against um, much bigger school prospects. Uh, round three, I went Bradley and I. We've talked quite a bit about him Um a guy that's not going to blow you away at the combine, but put put a uniform and pads on him, and he's going to be an effective player for you. Round two, Jonathan Grenard, Florida. Um, one of my draft crushes, 35-inch arm, 6'3", 263, 9.5 sacks, 15.5 tackles for loss last year with an interception as well. If you're one of those people who loves Zuniga and um, doesn't know that much about Grenard, watch their game against Tennessee last year. Grenard threatens to affect the passer on every single snap that he plays in that game. Um, really good sideline to sideline range, can chase plays down, good motor. Um, love Grenard in the second round. And in round one, it's I just went with the chalk, and that's um, Yitzhak Grossmatos. While he is climbing up draft boards and it seems like he's going higher in mocks, I get him about 50% of the time at 27 now, where... Up until last week, it was nearly 100% of the time. He just fits everything that the Seahawks should be looking for in this draft. 35-inch arms, 82-inch wing, wingspan. He's only 22 years old still. 17 and a half sacks, 35 tackles for loss the last two years. And Carol likes to talk about players that have overcome adversity and what that, what that um, adds to their character and their grit that comes of it. This guy has overcome... Um, witnessing his father and brother dying in front of him. Uh, when he was two, his father died in a boating accident, um, and he witnessed that happen. When he was 12, his brother was hit by lightning, I think, at a, at a Little League baseball game. Um, and he's had to overcome that. Um, and, and for all of his production, he's still raw. Um, I, I was down on him. I backed off of him a little bit a couple weeks ago because I'd watched the Ohio State tape, and I didn't think he was explosive off the edge. Um and then uh, some people pointed out to me on Twitter that I was wrong and I went back and watched some other games. I don't know if he was hurt in that game or if it was a, a game plan thing. They wanted him to, to be a little bit more hesitant off the line. Um, 
to kind of protect against that zone read or, or not. But um, the Seahawks would be fortunate to have him. And, and, and if I did a list of, you know, five players that they should stay at 27 for, Gross Matos would head that list up. Um, especially, man, if they could if they could lock up Griffin or Clowney or even a Marcus Golden in the next two weeks and get Gross Matos in the first round, um, you'd be hunting still an interior defensive tackle that can rush the passer. I almost went with James Lynch out of Baylor in the third round on this thing over on I. Um, but uh, Gross Matos would really be sort of the crown jewel. Obviously, I'm not going to touch quarterback um, or specialists in this, but um, that's kind of what I'm looking at uh, at this point for those positions. So again, less than two weeks away from the draft now. Um, we'll have a lot of draft content coming up, including um, a new mock draft uh, that I will do live on the clock uh, next week. I, I just wanted to end on this. So news broke right before I hit record today. And I'd hoped it wouldn't come to this, but but it, it, it appears that the second incarnation, the second attempt for the XFL to make it as an, as an off-season or spring football league has come to an end. Um, it's... It was ominous a couple of days ago, or yesterday, actually, that it was announced that the XFL had returned all season ticket deposits for 2021 tickets back to their owners. And they framed it yesterday in a press release as saying that, hey, these are tough times. We want to put the money, the money back into people's hands. Um, it was enough to raise my eyebrow, but I thought, okay, Vince McMahon had a lot of money set aside for this. Um, depending on various reports, anywhere between a quarter of a million and a half million dollars that he had set aside just to, to make sure that this league could get through the first two or three years before it could really start to grab hold. But today they, they laid off um, nearly all of their employees. They are keeping a couple of uh, executive staff members, front office staff, um, on salary. Um, they are maintaining an office, but they've laid just about everybody off and have suspended operations Um this doesn't look good for 2021 in part because there is a growing sentiment that some, if not all of the sports leagues will end up playing early next year in, in some sort of makeup fashion for time lost this year, which, I mean, let's face it, let's say hypothetically the NFL can't get started until November this year and goes into January, February has a Super Bowl in March or April no one's going to watch the XFL at that point. It'd be silly for them to move forward. Um, I I feel bad for them because while some people still tended to view them as sort of a, a joke um, or a pipe dream, I thought they did everything right this time around. I thought they hired the right people. I thought they approached it the right way. They focused on the football product on the field. They hired coaches with NFL backgrounds. They had a commissioner in Oliver Luck that had an NFL vision. They took two years setting this thing up. They didn't rush into it. They gave it a lot of thought. They tested things out in minor leagues. Um, and I thought the product on the field was good. The TV contract was solid. Uh, the execution of the broadcasts 
um, outside of some glitches week one, just trying to get get things going. Some of the advancements uh, that they made, some of the the access they were giving fans on the telecast with live microphones and, and looking behind the curtain, things like that. I thought were on point. And really the only knock was the talent wasn't good enough. Well, that was going to change. I think as, as it got to year two or three and showed signs of, of sustainability um, and they were doing well at the gate, they were drawing fans, people were coming to the stadiums. Yes, ratings and, and attendance were declining slightly each week. That was going to be expected. But it was good enough to think that there was a future and that if they got to a season two, better, better young quarterback prospects who, who were going to be number threes or practice squad guys in the NFL um, might choose to play in the XFL to get an opportunity to play and get themselves on tape. They were going to be able to attract better talent. They were talking about um, drafting underclassmen in the NFL or uh, that the NFL didn't deem eligible yet and maybe sniping some top talent that way. Um as they continued to grow and move forward into season three, presumably, um, and got to the end of that first TV contract, they would then be able to get a, a contract that that brought them revenue. And that would allow them to go after even higher caliber talent. Uh, there was a promising future in store for the XFL, and I could see a path to their success. What's tragic is that if they have failed, if if we have seen the last of the XFL, it was through no fault of their own. This They were going to make it through to the end of their first season, unlike the AAF. They were going to play their championship game. There were going to be a lot of eyeballs on that game. It was going to, to give, them a, give them an opportunity to build some momentum going into the offseason. Um, I was excited about it. I was emotionally invested. Um, I had tickets to go to the game on the 15th, which is the week that they shut everything down and had to cancel that. Um, I went out that week and bought a brand new game jersey. Um, I was expecting uh, a new shirt to arrive in the mail today, although it got routed improperly and it's now headed back to Ohio. Um, I really wanted it to work and I thought it could work. And it's a shame. Who could Who could have seen this coming? Of all the scenarios that the XFL staff must have mapped out for what could go wrong, what what could cause our league to fail year one, um, pandemic is probably not discussed. It just it's just a shame they weren't able to keep playing games, um, because I think having having solid quality football presented in a professional way in the spring is something that I wanted. And I think that there was enough positive feedback um, that it was obvious that enough uh, fans out there wanted it as well. So I'm hopeful. Um, and the fact that they did keep some staff um, on, uh, Vince McMahon I know is hurting in many ways right now because uh, his other ventures in WWE – um, you know, they're losing revenue because of this now too. And, and he was probably counting on a lot of that money to fund the XFL. It might take a year or two for him to bounce back, but I, I wonder, and I, and I hope that I'm right. If, if they still haven't given up hope that maybe in 2022, when we're past this and we're back on regular sports schedules and, and now, you know, a lot of the work that they've done has been done, right? A lot of the developmental work has been accomplished. 
So restarting this thing in a couple of years would be easier than it was this time around. And maybe there's still a chance for that to happen. So I'm going to hang on to my jersey, maybe put it in a frame, um, figure out where the hell that shirt went and get it back again and uh, wear it proudly. Um, hopefully that the Seattle Dragons will come back again. But uh, it's a shame for all those players involved too. You know, this was their opportunity. And some of them have been signed by NFL teams at this point, but so many more that would have had opportunities um, just aren't going to get them. Uh, anyway, that's going to do it. Let's wrap this one up. All right. Um, thank you again for listening. Um, and for all that you do in supporting this podcast. Um, this is a lot of fun for me, but also a way to connect with you all as sports fans. And in this time of being stuck at home in quarantine, um, it's a, it's a unique opportunity that I'm glad exists. Uh, hit subscribe with whatever podcast platform you use to listen to this, whether it's Spotify or Apple or Stitcher or Podbean or any of those others, um, hit subscribe so that you are notified immediately when there are new episodes. Hit me up on Twitter. It's at Seahawks forever, all spelled out. Um, give me your feedback, ideas, questions, things you'd like me to talk about in the episode and, uh, stay tuned over the next couple of weeks. Got a lot more guests on tap. Uh, some really cool guests uh, that'll be coming on to talk about football and hopefully with each passing week we'll get a clearer view of what might be happening with baseball this year as well so again i am dan viennes this is the dan cave thanks for stepping inside with me until next week stay inside stay home stay safe wash your hands uh be careful be safe stay sane and uh thanks again for listening Until next time, go Seahawks, go Mariners, go Coop.